Praise the Lord. What a choir. Woo. Praise the Lord. We came here to glorify his name. We're going to leave here glorifying it even more and more. And what a wonderful conference we've been a part of. Uh, amen. Just a joy to see George Rose back there, one of the old Jeritol guys in a band years and years and years. He's still shaking his hand. And Amen. It's such a joy to see not only what God began, but he's keeping and he is getting us ready for a wonderful finish. Started out this conference when Pastor uh, began to preach. He began to mention the seriousness that the devil has pulled out all the stops. Amen. We know biblically that he knows his time is short. We know that time is serious. We are told that we better not be ignorant of his devices and we better give him no place. But we're also instructed that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. That same spirit needs to be in us, I believe, greater than ever. And it needs to be demonstrated and lived out no matter what. There's a passage of scripture that I want to look at because I've had some tests and some trials in my life. There have been crises. Have you ever had uh, one of those uh, uh, crises and you think you're just getting through it and another one pops up? Amen. And then or just about and another one pops up. It's like being in a wave. Just knocks you down. You're trying to get a breath and another one hits you. And another one hits you. And another one hits you. But we're more than survivors. We're victorious in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? There's a portion of scripture that I want to take a look at. Most of you have probably only come across it in your one-year Bible program. And when you read it, you probably didn't give it a second thought. But going through these things, and in my Bible reading, as it hit me, it grabbed my attention and, uh, and jarred me to a reality of what we all will have to face. This portion of Scripture that I want to take a look at tonight is probably one of the most inconceivable yet inspirational scriptures in much of the Bible. It's where some of David's words and some of the note-taking of his men were penned down. Now think about David's men. These men were not superstars, at least when you looked at them outwardly. They were unpolished. They were unrefined. We've seen many of that on this stage here. We see many out in these congregations, and we see many that are looking online. These were not the superstars. They didn't look like much of heroes. They were kind of a ragtag group. They had past failures, issues that were on their heels. They had huge obstacles that were in front of them. And yet the Bible says that he could take this motley crew, and God can reach down, God can touch, God can use, God can raise up such a ragtag people. Men, not only then, but still today, and he can make them mighty men of valor. Buried in the old scripture in the book of 2 Samuel is a wonderful portion of scripture that I want to take a look at. Because when we think about David's man, think about this. How many know manhood is really being distorted? The creative role, design, and position. What is a man anymore? What's he supposed to be? How is he supposed to act? But... One of these men killed 800 men. Another one fought so long that he couldn't get his hand off the sword. One stationed himself in the middle of the battlefield and he refused to leave until it was over. Three other men broke through the Philistine ranks just to get their leader David a drink from the well of Bethlehem. 
Another one says that he lifted his spear against 300 men and he killed them all. Now when we think about this, this is not a comic strip. This is in our Bible. These are people that don't look like heroes, may not seem like they have much to offer, but they did great exploits by the power of God and His grace and help. But now I want to look at one of the most interesting men and his lesson in Scripture. His name is Benaiah. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada. And the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff. He wrestled that spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and he killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiah, did, and won a name among the three mighty men. He was honored more than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three. And David appointed him over his guard. In our day, this kind of faith, this kind of warring, is almost impossible to believe. Could it be so in the day and hour that we live in? Is this something that we can actually choose to look to and believe and ask of? If we're not careful, we're wondering, well, if that's so and that can happen, then how does it happen? You know, when we read these verses, it's pretty easy to read them and miss all the courageous, monumental things that they did as we sit here in our nice churches and homes with the latest security technology in our suits and our dresses. We can feel pretty safe. Can you say amen? amen? But I want you to think about this. Who in their right mind chases lions? Come on. Amen. I remember a day when they used to call us crazy. But I don't hear that too much anymore. That convicts me and disturbs me. And I thought about this because there's something about this man and what he did. We're not talking about one of the lion tamers at Barnum and Bailey's. We're not talking about somebody that has a hunting rifle in a Land Rover in a game safari park. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody without any of those things is going to chase and pursue and get involved with a lion. The scripture doesn't tell us where he was going what time of day, but it does say something about this man's gut reaction. It does tell us, amen, a manifestation that this man's reaction, even though it seemed improbable, this man did something that was gutsy. This man did something beyond the limitations of human ability. Are you with me, somebody? I want you to think about that because usually when we talk about the image of a man-eating beast, and somebody involved, the message to the man is run Amen. as fast as you can, Amen. do it quickly. And we all know that joke, all I have to do is outrun you. <laughs> the problem is when you get as old as Pastor Campbell and myself, <laughs> we're in trouble and we can just see you young guys, Pastor we're praying for you, doing a great job Pastor, hallelujah. There's a reality of facing some very, very difficult things 
Are you with me, somebody? We just have to understand something that this kind of lion chaser, they're wired differently. I believe as Pentecostals, we are wired completely different than normal men and women. So if we could, just let God help us to put ourselves in Benaiah's shoes for just a moment if we could. Now think about this. Maybe he sees something crawling around out of the corner of his eye. That vision could be blurred. It's snowing. Maybe the steam of the fog from his breath. But then all of a sudden there is a moment when Benaiah and that lion lock eyes. They lock eyes. That would have been a terrifying moment. How would you think? Hey, go on the zoo is one thing, but let that sucker out of the cage. And out of everybody else, he's going to lock eyes with you. He's going to fix his eyes on you. Well, Pastor, that's not possible. That's not reality, but it's in our Bible. Think about this. Your pupils would dilate. Everybody would have black dots, no color. The adrenaline would rush. Muscles would tense up. Are you with me, somebody? All of that would happen is because you're going to have to, have to face the thing that scares you the most. Amen. Amen. A terrifying moment. I want to remind us that sooner and later, we are going to have to face the most scariest things in our life and the things that we fear most. I want to preach a sermon quickly on locking eyes with your lion. I want to take a look, first of all, at the reality of the roar. It's interesting in 1 Peter, this is in the context of shepherd the flock. It's in serving as overseers, be an example to that flock. Peter, I believe, would have some insight. Peter was very gutsy. He could whack an ear off and then become a wimp and deny Jesus in front of a little servant girl. Amen. Come on. Sooner or later, we're going to have to face some things and then face it again and then face it again. Peter, though, he chooses a very interesting imagery to help us understand the devil that you and I are going to face. In chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking who he may devour. Message says the devil is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. He said, listen, folks, I know I have had to learn this. I have been a victim of this. I have failed in this before, but we have to be vigilant because the devil is always about four things. He is always walking about, going to and fro. He is going to walk in your neighborhood, your city. He's going to walk across your lawn. He's going to walk across your church and he is sifting, seeking, who can I devour? Let me see who you really are or what you really are not. He's walking to and fro. You don't have to look for him. He's walking and looking for you. Says the imagery of that is serious and it's dangerous because the one walking to and fro is like a roaring lion. It's a reality of real danger. Seeking are his actions. He is hunting for you and he's hunting for me. We're not talking about running after him. He's already hunting for you and he's hunting for me. He is seeking because he has an agenda. His agenda is to devour and stop any or all Christians in their very tracks. 
Something about the devil is he has the audacity of an open attack. He doesn't care how bad it embarrasses you. Come on. He has a sworn hostility. He is a man. He is about this. This is his mission, his heartbeat, his agenda. Everything he wants to do is to stop Christians in their very tracks. To destroy them at all costs. He has already stained creation. He has already pulled man down from the glory of God. He has ruined the image of mankind. And we are surrounded with that. There is a delusion. There is a, a, a remodifying, can you say, man, of God's proper creation, creative role, and design. He has ruined that. He has pulled that down from the glory of God. It's what we are surrounded with. It is the influence that is going to be all around us to try to retrain our children, our roles. Are you with me, somebody? He does that like a roaring lion. Experts said some interesting things about the lion's roar. It says it can be heard up to five miles away and can be as loud as 114 decibels. What is that? That's like being at a rock concert. It's like being close to the siren of an ambulance or a jet engine. It'd be like standing in the middle of 25 lawnmowers on full throttle. And he does that, and he does that with that kind of volume. He does that with that kind of intensity because he wants to totally intimidate with fear. Experts say that they can intimidate with fear so much that it actually paralyzes its prayer with fear, causing them to be so f filled with fear and intimidation, they actually believe they have nowhere else to go and there's nothing else they can do. A lion's not afraid, they said. To hunt big, things much bigger than him because he knows the payoff is bigger. Zoologists said that when a lion roars, it literally shakes your chest. And his roar is not delivered one at a time, but 50 times in 90 seconds. And he does that mostly when everything else is still. Experts say a lion's roar is all about making a statement. It's, amen, all about setting you at the lowest frequency of all animals. And they said it does this because he wants to establish fear, intimidation, vulnerability. An expert state, and they say this, unless a human has a able weapon and a skilled training to use it, the lion is going to win. So we can't be ignorant of his devices. Can't say, well, I'm not afraid of anything. You just lied. We all are here being challenged and reminded to step out, to not retire the radical, to not lose the cutting edge. It's not enough to read the books of fire seeds. We can take the land of harvest generation. It's the reality of his roars today. Amen. The reality is fear. Fear is real. Fear is powerful. I want to ask you something. Have you ever been so afraid you've been nauseated? Come on. Have you ever been so afraid where you laid awake at night? You were perspiring, maybe even shook. You didn't eat, not because you were fasting, because you were battling fear. I have. I have been in seasons. I have been in circumstances, in crisis, where everything in my outward court of my body 
is realizing the things, the real danger, all that's going on. It's a crisis. It's dangerous. And it's a reality of fear. Challenging my faith, my obedience, my trust in God. It's doing it loud. It's doing it, amen, aimed at me. Can you say amen? And it's powerful. And it's paralyzed many in their tracks. If we don't face it, guess what? It will become our master. Amen. And it will accomplish everything he wants it to accomplish. Solomon says this in Proverbs 30, verse 30. He says, A lion which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any, including you and me. Amen. There was an old missionary. He was sitting down with a group of young pastors, future pastors. And he said, let me tell you something. Fear is devil faith. Amen. It's where you're putting more faith in the devil than the God that already defeated him. Amen. You know, David was once young. The Bible describes him being ready. He was out in the field. Very important responsibility he's watching his father's sheep obviously this is in his heart obviously he took his responsibility serious a lion came and the bible records he takes this lion by the beard and he kills this lion but later on we read about david he is running hiding in a cave for fear of threats and words he records in Psalms chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. He said, I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench the couch with my tears. My eyes waste because of my grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Chapter 7, he says, lest they, like a lion, tear me in pieces. Chapter 17, the hearts are hard as nails. The mouths blast hot air. They are after me, nipping my heels, determined to bring me down. Lions ready to rip me apart. Young lions poised to, point, uh, to pounce. The issue is what we need to understand and not just have outwards, outward religious forms. There's a lot of good news, but Jesus said, don't do any of this unless I endow you with power from on high. Come on! You will not be able. You will not be equipped. You will not be adequate. Everything that we're talking about this, this conference is we are got to be more than just a title of Pentecostals. We have to be baptized yes. with Pentecostal power. And it just when you speak in tongues, you're a witness. It gives you boldness in the most frightening crisis in life. Think about this. The devil's a foul fiend. Amen. Amen. He, he really is. I can't wait the day to see him because I've got some few choice words, amen, some Christian cussing maybe that I could say to him. And, and if I get the chance to smack him, I'm telling you, I'm going to bring out some of my old street skills. And you know what I'm saying? I'm surrounded by angels. You're going to get the whoop up that you have coming. But there's times we can feel like that. And then there's times we're going, God, where are you? He's a foul fiend. He will use all his devices, all of his craft, all of his power, all of his skill, all of his venom, all of his malice. He will use all the legions that he has enlisted in his service to stop the very best Christians, pastor, Christian churches, if we let him. He will poison our joys. He will dog our footsteps. He will do that with his roars over and over and over against you. Think about it. He took down Noah. 
the only righteous in his day. He took the royal preacher Solomon down like a helpless victim. He took down mighty Samson who could slay a thousand Philistines with a donkey's jawbone. He got some of Nehemiah's best men and best workers off the wall. He took one of the greatest prophets, Elijah, and he got him in a cave with suicidal tendencies. Don't act like you never face fear. Don't play religious games. Because he's playing for real. His roars are real. His fear is real. His danger is real. And when we lose that understanding, we start playing around. We start giving areas. We get careless. We lose that watchful eye. I want to say something. I am very glad that we are a part of a church planning fellowship. But... I want you to understand when you get to that city, there will not be a red carpet put out for you. <laughs> I, I gotta be honest. When you get here, the most joyous thing, you're gonna get the pictures and amen, your friend, we're gonna hug you and amen, we're gonna be praying for you. But when you get there, that sucker that's walking around is gonna come hunting for you and he's going to roar. This place is mine. These people are mine. These neighborhoods are mine. The culture is produced. It's mine. How they think, what they're bound is mine. The strong men, the strongholds, they're mine. What do you think you're going to do? Renting a building and putting up a sign is not enough. Lion chasers are wired different. When I read about these guys, they wouldn't impress any of us. But they impress God. You cannot have all the outward together, but if you've got something in your heart. Listen, my outer court... It, it manifests and it understands the feelings, the emotions, and the senses that there's things happening around us that are not good. That are dangerous and ungodly. But I have to understand there is somebody sitting on the inner court. He's sitting on the throne of our hearts, the seat of our soul. But see, he wants to intimidate you to where you forget that. Paul says something very interesting. He says in Ephesians 6, 12, he's talking to the church. I'm going to use a message translation. He said, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget in about a couple hours. This is for keeps, life or death, a fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. When he says we're going to have to wrestle, he says the translation, you will have to come face to face with the roars, the fear, the intimidation, the assaults against you, you have to come face to face. It's not flesh and blood. There's things that are working in the spiritual realm. Can you say amen? We cannot be strong in our own might. We cannot be wise in our own wisdom. We are not, can you say amen, efficient on our own. Paul says, this is something you're going to have come face to face with. It's principalities and powers, spiritual host of wickedness in high places, and rulers of darkness in this age, I believe more so in the age that you and I live in, in our age. Spiritual powers, spiritual warring. Amen. Think about the roars of the media. 
Think about what they say against the church. Think about anybody that wants to stand for God and believe God. That wants to grow in Christ, promote Christ, declare Christ. You do that today, and guess what? After you've been around for a while, you know what's coming. Come on. They begin to roar. You can't talk like that in this day and hour. You can't preach like that in the day and hour that you live in. You can't assemble like that. You can't believe like that. That doesn't fit in the day and the hour that we live in. If you do, you could be sued. If you do, you can be put on a website. If you do, you target yourself for all kinds of slander. And don't tell me that that doesn't at least make you a little nervous. I thought about our beloved Pastor Mitchell. What a legacy he has left. But why we rejoice on many of the things towards his end, we forget about year after year after year. There was picketers. There was media. There was reporters. He broke out in hives. And yet he got up every day. Are you with me, somebody? And faced, I believe, his greatest fears. He endured these things. Can you say amen? In the midst of the roars. He was called a cult leader. He was called all kinds of things. I remember being in a Bible conference. There was reporters there. I was very upset. They're talking about the picketers. And I said, turn your stinking camera and show the picketers. Two of them. Show them both of them. I was mad. They wouldn't do it. Put your camera on them. You cheap sucker. Put it on there. There's two of them. <laughs> Pastor Mitchell. <laughs> on it. They're going to watch our giving. Fill the buckets up tonight. Let's give them something to talk about. But hey, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to preach it. But it's something else to live it out. We're in the midst of that. Can you say amen? Are you with me? The media. My goodness. I mean, you hear about anybody that wants any kind of righteousness, and they're going to hunt to find any kind of dirt on you. Hey, you better thank God that he's not looking for dirt, and he took care of the dirt. Everybody here, you got some dirt on you. Huh? But he's going to look at that. He's going to look for that. He's going to sift you for that. He's going to remind you of all of that. He's going to roar that. Try to paralyze you in fear. When that happens... We forget that we're called to be a radical generation in the time that we live in. And that fear can stop and has stopped so many in their tracks. So many have compromised. So many have pulled back. Even older saints, you're no longer pressing the battle to the gates. You're sitting at the outskirts. Many of them decide to quit or go home. An old Christian quoted this. He said, the worst thing that can take place is a sick church in a dying world. The roars are real of the enemy. The fear is real. You cannot escape them. If Jesus, who sweated in stress and pressure, drops of blood, and he said, is there any other way that this cup could pass? Let it happen. Don't act like I never get afraid. I want to talk secondly in this text is something that's very interesting and very important. It's in the middle of the pit. 
it's hard to understand sometimes what God wants to do and it's hard to trust him. Some of the scariest moments that we face are God setting a stage. Amen. A stage that will change the path, the outcome of your life, your gifts, your ministry, and your callings. But sometimes those things come with the scariest moments right. alongside them. We can't play it safe because playing it safe, there's nothing proactive. Zero plus zero equals zero. neutral goes nowhere. Come on. Yet we have a mindset today, and he's already, he's a master at this subtle crap. If nothing else, if I can't stop you, just play it safe. Take it easy. Are you with me, somebody? Think about this. I wonder if we've measured maturity the wrong way. You know, we want to preach good sermons. We need to preach good sermons. But we need to live them out. Amen. As preachers, you know, one of our hardest problems is, is to practice what we preach. Come on. And in the midst of crisis. You know what our wives need to see us as preachers? To practice what we preach. You know what our children and our children's children, no matter what, they need to see us practice what we preach. And especially in the most scariest moments of our life. You know, I know we read the Bible, but I hear a lot of people, there's some things you won't praise away. Okay, I can feel you. But serving God isn't always supposed to be safe. When you read your Bible and the followers in the people of faith, I mean, read, we love to read Hebrews chapter 11. By faith they did this. You know, the biggest substance were the things that were going wrong in their life, it seems like. But they obtained a good testimony by faith. He goes on to chapter 12 and says, once again, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to shake everything that can be shook. Amen. Maybe we forgot that God's trying to raise up some lion chasers. Amen. Amen. Maybe we forgot that. We have to defy the odds. And usually when we look at the odds, they're stacked against us. And we, nine times out of ten, look like underdogs. Let's go back to Benaiah for just a moment. I can only imagine there's this lion. It's snowing. It's the fog. Maybe out of the corner of his eye, he sees this lion kind of starting to move towards him. Right? I only wonder what he's probably going, that's a lion. That's a man-eating lion. Now hang on. Can we just get real tonight? And then all of a sudden as that lion starts to come after him, he falls in a pit. Right there, everybody in this place is like, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. You took care of that for me. Glory to God. Isn't God good? He was after me and you made him fall in a pit. Oh, God's good. Shabba Honda. Yeah, God's good. But not Benaiah. He didn't have a praise-a-thon. The Bible says the lion that was going to come after him, there was a pit he fell in it. You might think that's good enough. Leave the lion alone. Walk away. That's logical. That's rational. That makes sense. What does this man do? He takes a, lion, a flying leap of faith and jumps right in the middle of the pit of the thing that scares him most. Help me, Jesus. Wouldn't you? 
Don't look at me like you wouldn't. You'd all be, oh man, God's a miracle working God. God's my shield and my buckler. Oh, he's Jehovah Nissi. He's the great I am. And you think that we're really obeying God. How many want to meet God? How many want to know him more? How many know we need him to show up? So he can show us certain things that he can do. This guy jumps into the pit of the roaring lion. Right in the middle of the pit of the thing he is most afraid of. In the middle of what he fears the most. Now let's stop and think. Think about the deafening roar. Think about the screams, the battle cries. Think about the battle that's going on. Can you imagine all of us sitting there? Oh, this is bad. Oh, Jesus, help him. This is bad. All of a sudden, freeze frame. Silence. And y'all better start running. That lion's coming out of that pit. He doesn't eat that boy. You would expect the lion to come out and shake his mane. Come strutting out. Huh. Beniah crawls out of the pit of the thing that he is most afraid of. I believe he probably had some scratches and crisscross claw marks. If you never have any scratches or scars, you ain't doing anything. If all you are is shining brass, you have no dents and no bruises and no scars. You're not even in the battle. He crawls out of the pit. I don't know all the details. All I know is one thing. The lion is dead. The thing he feared the most is dead. And he is out of it. And he's alive. Are you with me, somebody? Amen. So how do we defy such odds? You know, we're baptized in the Holy Spirit that guides and teaches and reveals. But he always takes us to the risen places, the conquered places, the overcoming places in Jesus Christ. He always guides us in that way. There's times I felt like I want to run. I want to quit. It's too much. I've measured in my own rationale and whatever. And the Holy Spirit says, stop. When my son got hit, it was the following morning after me and Bridget said, finally, after six years, we'll do it. We'll go into the ministry. If that's what you want, you have our lives. The following morning, my son was hit laying dead on a road. Many of you would know that. I remember everything inside me began to just swirl. And all of a sudden, there was a steady courage. There was a small, still voice. Tell your wife. Tell your children to pray. I remember hearing the devil roar, I'm going to kill your son. Is that what you think you're going to do? I'm going to kill your son. And it was like a courage says, no matter what you do, I win. Either way. Whether God takes him home or lets him live, it'll be a testimony of God's promise and grace. And you know today he is alive and well. He's our assistant pastor. I remember the time when we went to Pioneer. I love our mother church, but someone tried to split it apart. We were there in Jacksonville. We didn't have any money. We couldn't pick up the phone. And I remember me and my children sitting there going, you know, we told God we'll do this. We're going to do this. We told God we'll believe him. We're going to trust him. We're going to do just that. We can have gas money. We made little flyers. 
with a ruler and a pen. You thought you had cheesy flyers? Mine were the cheesiest. <laughs> they weren't even good cartoon things. And I remember taking Jeremy. And I said, son, let's go outreach. We had to walk. And I remember talking and witnessing to somebody. And all of a sudden, I came up across a Baptist preacher. I said, hey, I'd like to tell you, we're here to pioneer and do a work for God and tell you how much God loves you. He says, yeah, 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 son. I've, I've, I'm a preacher. I said, you are. He said, I'm a Baptist preacher. You are. He looked at me and said, son, are you serious? Is that all you got? This is stupid. Young man, you might as well pack up your family and go home. This is foolish. That was a roar from the enemy. And I remember how it resonated and how it screamed in my ear. And how I wanted to violate everything that I had made promises and covenant with God. And I remember walking there and I watered up that flyer. And as I was walking, I don't know how many feet away, I just let that little flyer slip through my hands. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit says, your son is watching you. He's right behind you. He's our tomorrow. Was I scared? Yeah. Did I feel like a loser? Yes. Did I feel like the screw up? Yes, I did. But I heard the Holy Spirit say, pick it up. Amen. On that flyer, you had to go through an alley behind a bowling alley into many warehouse storage units where people stored their stuff. That was the church. Come on. And I remember opening that back up and the next person I handed it to, I had tears in my eyes. I said, I want to tell you that Jesus is real. He loves you. He can save you no matter what you've done or what you're involved in. They prayed a prayer. Within that week, there was probably 10, possibly 12 people that were in our house that got saved. But I heard those wars. I heard those threats. You see, a low view of God and a high view of God makes all the difference between scaredy cats and lion chasers. The Holy Spirit always moves in us and upon us to look and have a high view of God. Amen. It's always how we view things. Think about Gideon, Elijah's servants, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego facing the demoniac in the cemetery, Daniel in the lion's den, Lazarus being raised from the dead four days later. You're back against the Red Sea. These pits were terrifying with fear. We like to say, greater is he that's in me than all the lions that are chasing me in the world. But let me tell you something, the day is going to come. When you will lock eyes and you will hear the roars of the most dangerous things that's after you. That wants to stop you, pastor, brother, sister, marriage, Christian, family, kids. Wants to stop you dead in your tracks. Amen. But see, lion chasers don't focus on disadvantages. They focus on Christ who is in me. They focus on he who is in the inside is greater than everything against me on the outside. Amen. Think about Benaiah again. He's the son of a father who the Bible says was a valiant man. His name means God knows. And this father named his son Benaiah a name that means God builds. God knows and he knows how to build us. I thought about having a leader like David. David didn't have it all together. He had victories and horrible defeats. 
But think about this. He probably heard about David talk about when he had to face lions and giants. But he probably already heard, listen, I've made some bad mistakes. But he was around somebody that had courage. He was surrounded by brothers that would stay in the battle no matter what until it was completely won. He was part of a testimony of a ragtag bunch that had become mighty men in value. Victory was found in the pit. I'm concerned about our sons. I tell fathers, you better start discipling your son. You better start, amen, thinking about the generation that is yet to come. I have to think about this. Something about the Holy Spirit says there's a bigger picture. There's a greater danger. In the time of crisis, can you imagine what it causes people, amen, to feel and go through? It doesn't matter what we preach. It's what we practice, what we preach in the most terrifying times of our life. But in those times, I got to meet God. I got to see God bring handfuls on purpose. I got to see God open doors that no one could close. I got to see God give us buildings that you couldn't get any other way. I've got to see God have my back. I've got to see God show up more than just reading about it and hearing somebody else's testimony. I got to find God in those places. Can I remind you that it was in the fiery furnace where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego met with God. It was in the lion's den where Daniel met with God. It was when all you had was a simple little slingshot and five small smooth stones where he met with God. He was surrounded by brothers. This conference, we're talking about Pentecostal power. We need more than ever, all of us that are aged and been around, we, they're answers to our prayers. Amen. They're fruit of our labor. And though there's weapons formed against us, though there's strategies, though there's an enemy, a foul fiend, they need to see us exercise faith and obedience, even at the most scariest moments in our life. I'm concerned about a future generation. I want to close with locking eyes with your lion. Playing it risky 10 years from now, you're going to be more disappointed about the things you did not do instead of the things that you did do. Amen. I've thought about these things. What if I would have just caved in? What if I would have compromised? There's times that I've been with Pastor and, and uh, you know, and he's a, we're blessed to have a good leader, by the way. Amen. We're blessed to have somebody that doesn't just preach a good message. It demonstrates courage and faith and hardships and fearful moments. I remember him telling me, son, it's the hour that we live in. It's what surrounds us. It's the things we're going to have to deal with and confront and face. And if nothing else on that evil day, we've got to be found standing faithful Amen. in that day. I'm so appreciative to be surrounded by good men of God. These messages that have come, you know they've come from heaven. Amen. That have spoken, reminded us, and helped us. Not just revived us, but they have resharpened us Amen. to the urgency of the hour that we're living. Amen. You see, Benaiah goes on and it says, listen, there is a, another danger that's coming. The crisis is not over. Just when you think you've got that one handled, guess what? The devil, amen, he doesn't just stop at one. He brings another frightening situation. The Bible says there is an Egyptian man, a spectacular man.
believed to be seven, seven and a half feet tall, could have had an 18 inch reach with him. He's got a spear, like a weaver's rod. He's got a staff. And he goes down with his little staff to a giant who's got a sharp spear. How many want to go home with the victory? How many? I mean, you can't praise everything away. You may have to go there with your little old staff against giants with spears. You know what he does? He does something that's not logical. He does something that's irrational. But he does something of radical faith. He takes the spear over the one that has greater odds against him, and he takes the spear from him and uses his spear to kill him. How do you think we ever get to that place? How do we ever gain that courage? How do we ever develop that kind of faith? I'm going to have to lock eyes with the thing that you're most fearful of and scares you the most. Belief is not faith until it's acted upon. Pentecostals are baptized with boldness of that power. If Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, that same spirit is in us that should wire us different. We are the ones that need to be the loud voice. We are the ones when everybody's coming out of the closet, we shouldn't be going into the closet. We have to lock eyes with that. We have to say, God is still a promise keeper. What he began, he will keep and he will finish. The earth and the fullness of it still belongs to God. He has the last and the final word. Can you say amen? Whatever God authors, He will complete. Whatever God promises, He will fulfill. Whatever is committed to God, God will keep it. Fear is never conquered until it's faced. We're baptized with power to face the most scariest things in our life. We are baptized with power and boldness to face all things that pertain to our life. Jesus never ran away from any of these things. Amen. Even a legion of those things. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Nahum 1.7. The Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knows those who trust in him. Listen. Have you ever felt like, you know what? This is all the strength I got left. I've hung on about as long as I can hold on. I'm getting weak. I'm getting weary. I'm running out. Come on, somebody ever felt like that? And then you put your suit on. We have to go and stand before the church. But this is reality. This is serving. This is following Christ. This is warring in the faith. This is contending. But you know what the good news is? In the day of your trouble, I don't got enough to hang on. He said, it's okay. When you let go, I still have a stronghold on you. Are you with me, somebody? When I'm in trouble... He said, I still have a stronghold on you. Paul has to speak to Timothy. Timothy had some timid issues. Wasn't your natural. Can you imagine picking somebody like that? This is my future guy. This is guy. I'm going to trust you in all the hands. And you know this guy. Amen. He's nicknamed because he's timid. You want to, oh, well, you know, can somebody else do that maybe? <laughs> but see, God doesn't stop. God doesn't just pass you by. You know, salvation takes you and meets you right where you are. What you are and what you are not. And baptism is something that he says, I don't care what you lack. I don't care where you're unequipped or unable. 
I will give you all power and authority to everything that pertains not only to your life, but the things I'm going to involve your life in. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, so we know who gave it to us. We know who is behind it. He gave us power, love, and a sound mind. God's victory was not found walking away from the lion, not walking away from the thing that scares us the most. It was found when you jump into the middle and face the thing that most frightens you. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We carry that same spirit. I believe we carry that same Holy Ghost gene and DNA in us. Can you say amen? I remember, I remember Dave Johnson years and years ago. I don't remember how long it was. We were just talking. And I remember Dave, he was pastoring, and he says, you know, I was trying to cast out this devil. And this devil, man, was just looking, burning holes through me. And I'm thinking inside, man, I'm kind of scared. And he didn't say anything. The devil says, you're scared. <laughs> remember telling me? David's like, inside, well, I can't lie. It's actually true. <laughs> he didn't say that verbally, but that's what's going in. The devil said, you're scared. But there is somebody seated uh -oh. Uh -oh. in the intercourt. Yes. Yes. And he says, you're right. I'm not going to play some kind of impostery, some fake imagery. I am scared, but the Jesus inside of me isn't scared in the least. You come out of him. He doesn't belong to you. Loose him and never return. How long has it been since we've seen demons tremble in our present? Because it's sure not like there's not demon possession in the hour that we live in. When's the last time they can't come and sit in a Holy Ghost service? Remember the services when we would just simply be worshiping or whatever and people have to get out of their seat and run? God, just save me. Help me, Lord. Demons couldn't, he couldn't even handle it. Listen, church, we have to lock eyes with the thing that scares us the most. If we're going to ever be built, God who knows and God who builds sons and future sons and a future generation. Victory was in the pit. Victory was when he locked eyes with the thing that scared him the most. God is telling you and I, don't run anymore. Don't put it off. Don't hope it goes away. Sometimes where God wants to show you some things about him. How would you know if you ever provide if you never got in a place where you needed provision? How do you know if you, if you ever healed, if you didn't get desperate where you needed healing? How did you know if God ever had your back if you were never put in places to do that? Oh, come on. Let me tell you something, God is faithful to His promise. Amen, amen. He'll never put you and I through anything that we cannot bear. Amen. I don't care if you feel it and whatever. Sometimes with tears and emotions, I mean, nausea said, I nevertheless, God said. And what He said, I believe every word that proceeds out of His mouth. Jump in the pit. Lock eyes with your lion. Because we don't need to go home bound in fear, intimidation compromise at the back holding back we don't need to amen leave our gifts callings and our ministries stagnant they need to go to another level yeah. That's right. for such a time as this God's going to help us tonight at this place in altar let's bow our heads as the musicians come quickly